0: Welcome to Call to Action, a School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific podcast. In season three, we will have guests join us to share how their work and their commitment to SSND's corporate stance for comprehensive immigration reform plays an important role in transforming the world through education and awareness. We look forward to discussing this topic on migration together as we stand in solidarity. Welcome back to another episode of Call to Action. You are listening to Season 3, Migration, We Stand in Solidarity.
1: It's good to be back with you, Adam. It's been quite a couple weeks and so much happening in immigration, as always. I have been thinking a lot of what um, Sister Jan shared with us. and The word that continues to stand out for me is the word compassion. She really talked a lot about the call to compassion with our immigrant brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah, and she really had a good contrast of stories about being part of the community and having that firsthand view, plus talking about spiritual guidance to people in detention centers.
1: Yeah, and and just the reminder that no one leaves their homeland, you know, their family, their community, unless they're forced to do so. Whether that's, you know, the examples that were given of fleeing violence and persecution or due to natural disasters and famines that, that folks feel forced to migrate. But the other thing I was thinking a lot about, you know, when we talk about compassion, I was remembering um, the time in our, just a couple years ago, we, where we really had the zero tolerance policy of immigrants coming in the southern border. You know, you remember that they talked about about five thousand children were separated by their parents. Five thousand, and they say up to date there are nearly a thousand that have not been reunited with their families.
0: It's heartbreaking.
1: I, I, I just, it's just unreal, and the fact that that separation took place without any regard to how they would return the children to the parents. No policies, no procedures were put in place, and that you still have that many children who are not reunited. Where is our compassion? You know, there was compassion when it first came out, and people were like, oh no, that can't happen, that shouldn't happen, but we kind of forget about it once it's out of the news.
0: Yeah, I didn't even realize. I mean, you said that, and it made me wonder, where are these 1,000 children? If they're not able to go home, are they kicked into the foster system.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it is a mixture and the fact that so many of the parents were put in detention centers or they were evicted from the country, they were sent back to their homeland so they they're not able to reunite with their children. So, it's just another example of our need for compassion.
0: It kind of goes back to SSND's stance on it is that the continuous focus of maintaining human dignity.
1: Yeah, absolutely Well, for today, um, we have a new guest with us. and excited to have her with us, Sister Christine Garcia. She will bring a lot of her own experience. She's originally from San Antonio, and she previously worked on the border. So we will let her share some of her story. But I think the most important thing is she brings a compassionate heart. So welcome, Christine.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you both. For inviting me to be part of this great venture. And I'm grateful that we're looking at uh, immigration and the way um, people are looking at it.
0: Could you uh, tell us a little bit about your background, where, where you came from, and what led you to be an SSND?
2: I was born in San Antonio, Texas in the early 1950s as a child of immigrant parents. The families of, on both sides of my uh, parents originated in Mexico, and they emigrated to the USA in the early 1920s. Why? They were seeking a better life for their children, since at that time, Mexico was experiencing such political upheaval and lawlessness that was affecting how my grandparents could raise their children, raise their families. Both sides already had family in the U.S., so it was a little easier for them to get over here. There were some roles back then, but because there was someone to sponsor them, they were able to come in a little easier.
0: What um, ministry are you currently in?
2: Currently, I'm completing um, two terms of service uh, as a provincial counselor, so it's a total of eight years. And it's been a blessing for me to be able to be part of this leadership council the opportunity to journey with our sisters through their transitions and also to look as a council at the urgent needs that we're being called to address. Just being part of a larger community and being uh, in a position to help move things forward has been a blessing.
1: And one of those things that we have moved forward is the corporate stance on immigration reform. And Christine, I'm happy to serve with you and, and other sisters on our immigration committee and today we want to talk a little bit about the the myths and the facts around immigration. I think there's so many myths that that are out there that become part of people's belief system. You know, Americans really from the United States really believe that immigrants take jobs away from them and hurt the economy. So you want to talk a little bit about that.
2: yeah, first, I'd like to just mention the word myths. I've been reading about what are myths, you know, and The definition uh, helped me to understand that people create myths to try to explain things that they do not understand. So I'm wondering, is it that people don't understand people who are not grown as neighbors right next to them? Is it that they don't understand the need that these people are encountering? Because as long as we have myths that are really not true, we continue to keep and sow division.
1: Well, and I often think of who benefits from those myths. So sometimes it is out of a misunderstanding or not understanding, but how do those get promoted sometimes has to do with who's going to benefit from those.
2: So the myth about, you know, they're coming, they're taking jobs— I've also been looking up all kinds of um, studies, and one is from uh, Stanford University that was published in 2022. Though some people claim that immigrants are taking job opportunities away from people born in the U.S., immigrants actually help to create new jobs. In addition to buying U.S. and local products, which helps create jobs. Immigrants often start their own businesses. In fact, immigrants are twice as likely to start businesses as citizens born in the U.S. States with large numbers of immigrants report lower unemployment rates for everyone. And we have also heard that the immigrants coming in often take the jobs that native-born people don't want, the fieldwork work the dishwashing work. Uh, And these people come to help build up their own economy for their family, so they'll take whatever is available.
1: And and we do recognize there is a void for um, low-skilled workers. So in those same sectors that you were just mentioning, the agricultural jobs, the packing plants, and we find many of our immigrant brothers and sisters working in meat and poultry industry. And so there are jobs. In fact, actually, I was thinking one day that they are literally feeding the people of the United States in the kind of work that they're doing.
0: It's interesting you point that out because I found some statistics that were an analysis from the U.S. uh, Census Bureau. In 2019, it was taken from an American Community Survey. And just as you pointed out, the percentage of immigrants that work in the agriculture, forestry, and fishing, and hunting industry is 26%.
1: That's quite a bit.
0: And uh, that's followed by uh, administrative support and waste management at 23%, construction at 22%, and then they have uh, other services uh, except public administration at 20%. Uh, accommodation and food services is at the bottom at nineteen percent. So everything we've been saying is is very much backed by data. If people s- sought it out, it's it's not just a uh, opinion that we're stating for people. It's it's fact. And as we talk about jobs, there's certain benefits that go with jobs. There's another myth of immigrants abuse welfare.
2: Um, yeah, that's totally a, a myth because undocumented people are unable to access any federal funds, any health care benefits. And this is due to the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act of 1996. It was a law that undocumented immigrants and immigrants without permanent status, like DACA students, recipients of the temporary protective status, which they call TPS holders, they can't access any of those benefits, non-immigrant visa holders. They're barred from access to most federal funds.
1: So it really is a misunderstanding um, because in order to get those benefits, you have to show your documentation. So they are not accessing those.
0: I found a list of what you know the government says is qualified immigrants, and it's uh, lawful permanent residents, refugees, asylees persons granted withholding uh, of deportation or removal, Cuban and Haitian entrants. But as I was reading through that list, I mean, it comes down to that very small number of immigrants that are fortunate enough to get the proper classification.
1: Yeah. And that's, again, and they do need to show the documentation in order to receive those benefits. It's interesting because, you know, we're talking about the abuse of the welfare system, and, and it's not only immigrants, but oftentimes even the poor have been stigmatized and saying that they abuse the welfare system. It's almost as if we don't want anyone to use the welfare system when we know it's there for the protection of those, for those who need it. And yet those who are undocumented do not have that opportunity, even if they have that need. So it's almost a criminalization, which kind of brings me to another misunderstanding um, that we often hear is, uh, and it gets politicized, is that immigrants are a major source of crime. And yet we know they primarily come to work, to be reunited with family, to escape dangerous situations. And so the reality is that they are less likely to commit serious crimes. Do you want to say anything more about that, Christine?
2: Sure. In fact, the Texas Department of Public Safety was uh, under a study to compare the criminality of undocumented immigrants to legal immigrants and native-born U.S. citizens between 2012 and 2018. And basically, they say that undocumented immigrants had substantially lower crime rates than native-born and legal immigrants across a range of felony offenses. Relative to undocumented immigrants, U.S.-born citizens are over two times more likely to be arrested for violent crimes. 2.5 times more likely to be arrested for drug crimes and over four times more likely to be arrested for property crimes.
0: I mean, when you get educated and you start hearing stories and you start kind of putting the pieces together, that myth to me doesn't even make sense.
1: Yeah, I, I would say from friends of mine, I mean, whether documented or undocumented, they are very careful because they know that there is so much stereotype, there's so much prejudice. So they do have to be very careful.
0: there could be percentage out there of immigrants that are crim- have criminal offenses associated with their status
1: well, and to remember that sometimes we we forget to separate what is a civil offense versus a federal offense and what's a misdemeanor, so that all gets lumped together also, so to really separate separate that out,
0: they're more a victim of the laws uh at that point when they're undocumented and what they are a a benefit.
1: One of the other crimes that sometimes is is said that they commit is the fact that they don't pay taxes. And so that's another uh, area where people don't even have an understanding of taxes. And who pays taxes and who doesn't pay taxes? Well, I think we're all paying our taxes.
2: Yes, yes. And the National Immigration Forum has a fact sheet out there you can look for it in you know on the internet immigrants collectively pay between 90 and 140 billion dollars each year in taxes and in a re- recent study found that undocumented immigrants alone pay approximately 11.64 billion dollars in taxes each year
1: well when you think about it you think of all the taxable goods if you're participating in society whether that be gas or clothes or appliances property taxes or payroll taxes so anyone who's working your social security is coming out of that and actually most of them they will not benefit from that social security in later on in their life but they are paying into that and they are paying their taxes
0: so it kind of goes back to the first myth that we talked about about them taking american jobs actually them taking American jobs in those instances is benefiting American citizens more than them because they're still contributing to taxes. They can't get around that. It's it's all automatic when you sign your papers for an employer. They can't really get around that type of tax.
1: Well, it's just like if you're going to go buy gas and, you know, (laughs) if you're going to work, if you're raising a family, you are driving. And so you are purchasing gas and you are paying your taxes automatically.
0: So, Sister Christine, as we went through these myths, do you have any stories you, you could share of people you know uh, through years of working ministry or personally that have had to overcome some of these?
2: I guess there, there are many. And I would just like to point to the fact that our sisters are working with immigrant people all across the, the, the congregation, actually. Recently, as you know, we experienced the pandemic, and thanks be to God that we did, Congress did uh, allow for the emergency relief fund that helps so many families. And I have to mention that there was a couple, a U.S. born couple, who called me and said, Sister, what's going to happen with those who aren't eligible for any help? They have lost jobs. They can't get their food. They can't pay their rent. What's happening to them? And he said, sister, I know your sisters work with the the immigrant community. Get some names of people that your sisters know, and I am here to help. So we helped over 148 people with that help and with donations given by other groups as well. There are people like this couple among us in this country. Who see the need? you know, and we're here in this podcast just to help raise the awareness or p- perhaps support people who already see this need and to let them know they're not alone.
1: You know, as you shared that story, Christine, about the family who get donated money to help those in need. I, I know of a few people who realized they didn't need that money as much as others who did give it to charity who found ways to give it to food shelves to help those who are more in need than them. And I guess it goes back to that compassion, that there are compassionate people here in the United States and who are generous with those who are in need. Um, and we really do want to highlight that also, that generosity.
0: I hope. With this podcast, when people hear it, it encourages them to be more vocal. It's
1: it's changing the narrative because there's so much negative narrative, whether it's coming out of xenophobia, prejudice, you know, even some of the language that we we haven't talked about that some of the language that's used around to reference our, our immigrant brothers and sisters give a whole different slant. You know, so when they talk about illegal aliens, well, well, we all know what we think of aliens. We've watched enough movies. And so when we use those kind of terms, and, and you can hear when we're talking, we we speak of our immigrant brothers and sisters, because they are our brothers and sisters. We talked about the crises on the border. And yes, it was a disaster. But how do we tell that narrative? Do we tell it from an angle of compassion of what happened? As I referenced at the beginning of our, our time together, the the children who were separated from their families, you know, so what, how do we tell that story is really, really important.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the media plays a big part uh, in this by their, their style of coverage, you know, on immigrant issues to me i feel like the the law side of it is covered during election years and the only other thing we see is the horrific tragedies and it's probably really confusing for people who who don't take the time to to really dig into it they're seeing all this tragedy but then during political time they're getting all these different you know uh, initiatives and stuff that politicians put out there and
1: then to be able to tell these wonderful stories of how families create new businesses and how they build a community. Um, what's happening in our rural area? We've talked the talk about a rural area and how that's being built up by the immigrant communities. Uh, so to tell the the really good stories about what is what is happening, or tell the stories when families are reunited and the great joy that that brings. I was I was watching a program recently, and so. And it was someone who had worked really hard to earn the money to bring their family from, and this one happened to come from a a country in Africa, but to be reunited after a long time. Um, They had been in refugee status. And so be able to reunite, tell those wonderful stories.
2: And they're so grateful for the outreach we got in this case with this program. We got so many thank yous. Um, we didn't expect them, you know, cause they're, they're in all kinds of situations that are so difficult, but they took time. They wrote, you made a difference in our life. Just, they just wanted to say, thank you. You remembered us. You saw us. So I think that's our call.
1: So grateful for this opportunity that's just to touch in and and just hope for people to next time they hear something, just even question you know where does this myth or this misunderstanding come from? and sometimes who benefits from it and what narrative is being told?
2: And what divisions do do they continue to create?
1: Um we have an immigration prayer that uh, we have been praying as as a congregation, as sisters, and we really do invite. Our audience to, to take that prayer, I, I think it for me, um, we have been using it in each of our podcasts. It really is a call to compassion. And so if um, you would please pray the prayer for us, Christine. Give us hearts. God of
2: love and compassion. May we always recognize your spirit in the refugee family, seeking safety, from violence, in the migrant worker, bringing food to our tables, in the asylum seekers seeking justice for their families, in the unaccompanied child traveling in a dangerous world. Give us hearts that break open whenever our brothers and sisters turn to us. Give us hearts that no longer turn deaf to their voices in times of need. Give us eyes to recognize a moment for grace and Instead of a threat, give us voices that fail to remain silent, but which decide instead to advocate prophetically. Give us hands that reach out in welcome, but also in work for a world of justice until all homelands are safe and secure. Bless us, O Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: So, thank you, Christine for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, as we conclude, we would like to invite you to our next episode. And our guest will be Sister Beatriz Martinez Garcia. And she will be sharing with us a global view on immigration.
0: Thank you for listening to Call to Action. I hope you join us for our next conversation airing every other Wednesday. You can listen to past and current episodes of Call to Action by visiting ssndcp.org forward slash call to action or by following us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support and remember to follow the School Sisters of Notre Dame, Central Pacific Province on Facebook to stay up to date on Call to Action.